This podcast episode is brought to you by Adam Marr in Montauk, New York. Adam Marr offers a unique selection of quality surfboards along with thoughtfully made apparel. Adam Marr is a full-service surf shop and provides everything from surf wax and wetsuits to ding repairs and rentals. Highly educated listeners will receive 15% off, yes, 15% off all online orders by using the code 3MILEMEDIA, all spelled out, lowercase, with no spaces, at that online checkout, or you can use the code when you mention it in the Montauk store. Don't miss out and stock yourself up before the next swell by ordering online at adammar.co or by visiting them in their downtown Montauk location all year round. Offer valid for limited time only. Welcome to another episode of Highly Educated, the podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Sherman. And since we already did the Adamar ad, we won't really do much of an intro. So without further ado, here's our guy, surf shop owner, brand curator, the man, Adamar. Adam, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, nice to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we just uh, stopped at the local coffee joint, little SNS Corner Shop. Shout out to them; they just uh, supplied us with some coffees. Yeah, first time, uh, first time at SNS. It was a really good experience. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say a fellow retail curator. I had to give you the experience. It's yeah, a- they've done a nice job. I, I uh, I've seen a couple SNS T-shirts in the shop before, and and so now making the connection between the shop and the shirts is nice. <laughs> shop and shirts, it yeah. resonates. Yeah. So bringing on Adam here to share his story, Adam owns his own retail shop in Montauk, Adam R. It is a surf shop primarily and also has your own curated clothing that you design and create. Yep. And you've been doing this since 2015. Yeah. Um, I think the store officially opened in 2016-ish. The brand um, start, like when I signed uh, my corporate documents, I think it was a 2014 start, but hmm. when the brand yeah. really started getting going, I think it was like 2016. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and when you started this brand, did you always know that like Montauk was going to be the place or? No, not really actually. So I grew up, um, in, in Port Jefferson or a town over from Port Jefferson. It's like a little sailing village in, in, in Long Island on the North shore. But as a kid, my, my, we, we camped at Hither Hills. So, uh, I think from like that's the connection. Yeah, yeah. that was the connection for I want to say since we were like eight or nine years old, and I'll never forget <laughs> the first time we went camping. It was I was actually it was fourth grade, and uh, that year the Pokemon movie came out, the first one, Ooh. and yeah, and my dad was like, "We're going camping," and my brother and I were freaking out because we wanted to see the movie. He's like, "No, we're not seeing the movie. We're going camping," <laughs> and I remember being in tears like. <laughs> for the entire ride to Montauk because we didn't get to go see this movie. Um, but anyway, we, I mean, it was an incredible experience. I think we did that for like 20 plus years as a family. And um, yeah, eventually. Always uh, surfed, always had that resonating. Yeah, surfing, boogie boarding, on the beach. And when I went to uh, start my uh, shop, actually the, f- the first place I looked was in Long Beach. Yeah. Um, I, was, I was actually living in Long Beach uh, working, working in the city. And I placed an offer on a on a uh, on a rental uh, on, a, on a commercial space in Long Beach, and the realtor never got back to me. And my mom and I actually came out to Montauk for for lunch one day in, in February, and we drove past uh, the shop that I'm in now, and and J and P Pools was closing up, 
Um, and I, I was like, Ma, what do you think of this? <laughs> and yeah, we, the rest is history. We signed, I signed the lease like a week later. That's amazing. Yeah. So, so you, you saw that in Long Beach, it was possible, but you realized that what you weren't really getting headway with the real estate agents yeah. or anybody out there. Now, why do you think that was? Cause you were so new or young or what was it? I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. Cause I told the guy, I emailed the guy and called him and said, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in this space. I'd like to, I'd like to sign a lease. And I, I just never heard back because there was like a little realtor sign on the front window. Right. I mean, in hindsight, I mean, it was between Long Beach and Montauk at the end of the day because, yeah, the brand is kind of rooted in surf culture. And, and for, for me on Long Island, those are the two hubs. Um, but in hindsight, I think it was pretty fortuitous that that landlord or that realtor didn't get back to me because, I mean, Montauk for what I was tr- what I'm trying to do or what I was trying to do made a lot more sense. Maybe at the time I didn't realize it, but looking back now, like, I don't know if this would have worked like it does in Long Beach. Right, um, so, right, yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, you had mentioned the city, too, in there, and that was where the experience came from your manufacturing and sourcing, and that's kind of what got some passion behind it. Like, what was the original passion to say, hey, I want to do clothing specifically, and not just, hey, I'll open a surf shop, you yeah. know? Like, that added extra element. Sure. I guess going way back, um, the precursor to Adamar was in college, um, I had a graphic t-shirt company and it was called East Coast Original Surfers, Ecos. And we did graphic tees and basically just tried to sell to surf shops. And I did that for a year or two in college. And like I, I had a screen printer. I printed my parents' attic and um, I dropped off shirts. And Classic. Yeah, classic. Classic surf grom. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, classic surf grom. After year two, we ended up getting a letter um for like it wasn't quite a cease and desist but basically that there was a trademark on the word the title ecos already and it was for a cleaning product yeah i was gonna say that's a cleaning product company (laughs) so that basically shut that (laughs) basically (laughs) shut it down because we were going by ecos even though it was east coast original surfers the tagline was ecos Anyway, that was the start into the clothing world and kind of what sparked my interest. You're like, oh, wow, this is, that's hard. Yeah. <laughs> Cease and desist, that's yeah. fun. It's yeah. a good way to start. Yeah, so anyway, shut that down. Um, I graduated college, and, and I wanted to work in the fashion world. And I got a job working for Ralph Lauren in, in Manhattan, and I did manufacturing and sourcing for them. Um, so at the time, I, when I was working there, I was living in Long Beach. So um, did would do the morning commute, usually surfed before work. Um, took the train into the city. Now, did that make surfing more enjoyable because you had that tough commute? Like, I feel like sometimes surfing is so much more enjoyable when you have this tough week or this tough day or this whatever it is. You know, most people resonate with that, like, mm. peace you get afterwards. Yeah. Like, oh, you know, I'm going to go surf after this or I'm going to go, you know? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, almost clear <clears throat> the head, like, clear your head a little bit yeah. and get into a nice mind headspace. Um, having said that, like, I surf, I surf, I try and surf almost every day now. And I wouldn't say that my job, uh, that my work is overly demanding and, and that I, it's a, like, I love, I love what I do. So it's just an extension of what I love to do in yeah. work and, and also in my spare time. And all, and it all correlates obviously to the surf shop and the For ideas sure. and the vision behind some of the clothing. And, and when you talk about the designing of the clothing itself, obviously you have this background. What did that take to kind of actually, design and and plan these things and and i'm talking about in, in first original nature yeah. not like now that the brand is established and what you do but like the actual beginning stages was it was it like 
how am I going to make it more than just a t-shirt? Or how yeah. am I going to make it more than just this sweatshirt, you know, or whatever it was? Yeah. Well, I, I didn't have a lot of experience on the design side because I was a manufacturing and sourcing guy um, in the Ralph days. Um, so basically going into producing your own goods from, from the design side, like technical design, um, pattern making, um, and then sourcing all the fabrics and all, all that good stuff. It was a learning experience. The first, the first, I had saved, uh, I, I knew that I was going to start my own business and I had put money aside. I think I put like $30,000 aside to like start my business. I moved back home with my parents and basically put every paycheck aside. Yeah. That first production was a disaster. I lost every dollar in like the first like three months. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And like clothing that didn't fit properly. That was on the Adam Moore brand. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. was the first collection. Or, or the first launch. Yeah. Um, and that, yeah. So And you had the retail shop at this point. No, no, no. This no, no, is no. this is before the pre-launch. Retail. Yeah, this is like year one. You're I... supposed to use that for the fundraising for the for the, <laughs> yeah. for the store. Yeah, this was, yeah, this is the first, first collection. I wasn't in any wholesale. Like, I wasn't doing wholesale. There, it was basically like, I'm just going to release this. You didn't have backup or firepower. I had or, Right. I had yeah. So, um, yeah, it was, clothing didn't fit properly. Um yeah, you know, in, in hindsight, like I also put a lot of trust in a factory that I wasn't necessarily in there doing quality control. So yeah, the first which is everything now, which you is know. you need you need to have it. Sure. Um, so this that first collection was a was kind of a disaster. Um, so right. uh, to answer your question, it's been a, it's been a long learning as you go process to to where it is now. It's you know second nature like. Once you have your, um, for me at least, I don't change the silhouettes too often. Like, I have my button down. I have a pair of shorts. I have, um, like, I have my core silhouettes that I really like, and I recycle those patterns. So once you have your um, your shapes and your measurements that you really connect with, then you can kind of keep running them, change fabrics, and make small tweaks. Yeah, um, but, right. Um, yeah, as you kind of learn what your fits are and what your tech specs are and, and now, obviously, you're spending, spending a lot of time with surfers to develop this. It's not like you're going out there being like, oh, this is the clothes I make and that's it. It's, you spend time going on surf trips and surfing and knowing what people need. And, hey, this, is, this could be something maybe functional and also good looking. And you can you know, wear it at the beach or after a surf session, but also go to the bar and have a drink. And you don't look you know, silly like you're wearing you know, bright colored board shorts and you know, Hawaiian Tommy Bahama. You know what I mean? You're, you're giving somebody casual wear that they can put on that gives them a little bit more out mm-hmm. than it does if you're just like throwing on the sloppy thing after you go surfing yeah is I that mean, the idea yeah it's contemporary design built <clears throat> you know mixed in with surf culture and surf nostalgia um the first piece i actually ever made uh was this it's called the montauk oxford but it's like a terry velour overshirt. and when i was living in long beach at the time uh, i would always forget towels and so I thought when I would change up my car to get to the train station, I would basically just put on clothes soaking wet. So I designed this, or the initial idea for Adam Marr came from kind of that need. I was like, all right, I'm just going to wear my towel to the beach and then ultimately to work. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm so going yeah, to wear this towel on my shirt. That was the first piece I ever made, and it's still a part of the brand and still one like one of my best-selling pieces. So and yeah, and, and it comes from trial and error and creativity and, and knowing that you you know had these experiences. And, and you said it wasn't your first go at retail because you had an a, another endeavor too 
in Long Island. It was like a, a ski shop or snow shop, right, with yeah. some buddies, and you had that trial and error process in retail before the Adam Marr experience? That was actually um, – Adam Marr's – the ski shop came afterwards. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, so I, the ski shop I had – I was involved in for three years, um, and I actually just so I actually just exited in this past March. Yeah. Um, and what I found was that it's really hard to manage two full-time businesses – and I have two partners in the ski shop, and uh, it wasn't. I was basically giving them half my time, and then Adamar was getting half my time, and both were hurting because of that. Sure. So I, I've decided to kind of part ways with one and just focus my energy into into Adamar. So. Into Adamar. So yeah. yeah. But yeah, there's that. I learned a lot from being in that business um, because they, they they're they're generating revenue on a different in, in different ways and different streams, and yeah, it was definitely there a lot more service work there. Yeah, trying to apply kind of what I learned there into Adam Marr to build kind of better business. Yeah, and, and like you said, in this day and age, uh, a lot of surf shops survive in the world of service too. So it's a lot of that. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of tune-ups and lessons and board things and craftings and, yeah. you know, fittings and, and such. Yeah. It's funny that you say tune-ups. Yeah, the ski the ski world, like, yeah, like flat file sharpen, wax your skis. Like, people would come in once a month to do that. It gets people in the door and... and um, yeah, that service work is, you know, you don't you don't have big overhead for service work. There's no inventory. It's just your time. Right. So, yeah, trying to figure out how to kind of be more involved in service work in a surf shop and less inventory heavy has been a challenge and also a goal. Well, surfing is very easy for inventory because the boards are so small and pocket-sized that, you can, put them, that <laughs> yeah. you can put them anywhere, totally. right? Totally, <laughs> and they're inex- inexpensive. Yeah, 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 these inexpensive yeah. small pieces of board. You know, it's not like a skate shop where you can throw a million decks on top of each other in the basement. These are large, mostly 12 to 15 foot long, yeah. <laughs> huge boards. So it's it's not, if you don't have too much square footage, which we're working with, how much you said? 750. 750 square feet of yeah. space, really not a whole lot of room there to operate in. So you have to be precise in the way that you inventory and the way you order. And like you said, it's it's been seven years of trial and error and you finally found the right combination to make it all work, uh, you know, through one, one smooth fluid piece. Yeah. We're constantly, I mean, constantly tweaking the formula, but, um, yeah, I think within the last two years or so, we're starting to hit our stride and kind of figure out what our, what our assortment and mix are. So when you had the growing up of like Long Beach and going to Costa Rica, you said was an influence. I remember uh, hearing you say that it was a big influence for you too. Um, and these trips, how important was that inspiration to kind of launch the mindset of the retail operation and, and look on the design components and know that you want to sell good quality surf gear? Well, I think traveling in general is always inspiring and helps kind of drive aesthetics for, for a season. Um, I actually had year one, um, so seven years ago, I had a, I had a partner in, in Adam Marr, and um, he was a, a good friend and still is. But he actually, um, he owned a surf shop in Hatteras called uh, Hatteras Island Board Sports. And he sold his shares to his brother to come in to Adamar. Um, so he helped me kind of get the retail um, space going. Um, after, in year two, he actually left because he had an opportunity to um, actually own a surf shop in Costa Rica. So he moved to Playa Grande and own, uh, now owns a place called Frijoles Locos. Wow. Um, yeah, so he, he was definitely um, influential and um, and helped kind of get 
Atomar off the ground on the retail side. So yeah, Costa Rica um, has been inspiring, but I think Drew in particular who lives there has been uh, kind of one of the guys who helped get it going. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then for Montauk, when you were talking to him about Montauk and bringing it there, mm-hmm. what were his thoughts on that? And and was it like surf culture, hey, uh, more power to you, that should be the place? Yeah, yeah he thought it was, it was the right call because, I mean, he lived in a destination town too. He was in Hatteras. Which right, is, that's why I was asking, yeah. kind of bringing the connection between yeah. the two highly visited vacation areas yeah. for surfing, yeah. kind of bringing that so, correlation. Yeah, that, that was kind of the partnership made sense back then too for that reason, right? He knew, uh, he kind of understood that, seasonal landscape and uh and yeah so he was he was super helpful in getting it going um yeah what it's what it was and what it is now are completely different but like just the the building blocks even just like having a pos system in the store like i didn't know what to do with with the pos system so yeah getting just the 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 actual yeah the logistics yeah yeah, the bread and butter of the shop up you know and then then the design elements can flow through and then the surf elements can flow through once you have the protocols and everything set up. I mean, it's not rocket science, but it's nice to have, you know, people who've done it before to help you. No, I mean, it's inventory, it's curating, it's product. It's, there's a lot of stuff that goes on. People think, Oh, I'm just going to own a surf shop and Oh, let me just open these doors. No. I mean, if you want to attract um, clientele and if you want to be busy, if you want to have competitive market in that space, it's, you have to be smart. You have to be forward thinking. You can't just make some rag shag idea and think it's going to work. You have to have that. Yeah. So it's good that it all came together. And you obviously have some great help there at the shop too. Johnny Germano, very talented artist. Check him out online. So just to give the listeners some backdrop here and, and what makes Adam Marr specifically different than other surf shops um, locally is that it's not the place where you walk in and it looks like Lords of Dogtown and everything's like run down and kind of like this like Armageddon of, of pirates trying to assemble this place together. It's more, you walk in and it's like clean and curated and organized. And it gives you a sense of comfortability when you walk in there that, Hey, things are taken care of. And it's not some like rag thrown together thing. How important was that for you to portray that look and not just be another surf shop. Because especially in Montauk, you have a lot of competition. There's tons of surf shops. Not to knock any of them. They're all great for their own reasons. But what is the real difference in that and what you brought to Adam Moore visually? Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I mean, as a kid, I used to actually shop in Air and Speed and Sunset. Yeah. When we when we would camp at Montauk, our summer wardrobe, like we would go in and get trunks and clothing from from both those shops. So when I, when I, when I opened up this, there was a, a definite or there was intention to make sure that I'm not carrying the same product, that I'm offering something unique. Obviously the clothing side, it's easy cause I'm making my own stuff. Um, but on the, on the, on the gear side, it was, you know, also intentional making sure that I'm carrying boards and, and brands that I know are not being offered actually not just in Montauk, but you know, on Long Island. Right. So yeah, it was, that, that was definitely intentional. Um, and then as far as the aesthetic goes, I think it, it goes back to the Ralph days um, where, you know, I was, it was definitely a cleaner, more buttoned up aesthetic. And that probably drove some of my, um, or it influenced me in, in ways that maybe I wasn't necessarily actively thinking about, but obviously it's clear. and Subconscious and, was sure. in there. Yeah. yeah. And you wanted to kind of make it that clean, nice. And you probably noticed that it worked, right? Like you were in, in East Hampton, you saw that those Ralph shops were always busy and always had people in them. They were always shopping. There's, there's some correlation there. Hey, he built something that works. 
I can build something from the surf community. I just found it when I walked into your shop. It's like that's it. That's the difference. You walk in and it's not some like unorganized, chaotic with some like super crunchy dude behind the counter being <laughs> like, "Hey man, what do you yeah. what do you want?" Not no offense to Johnny, great great personality, but he's not some crunch ball, you no. know. So it's nice to like walk into a shop and have another presence to it than just like, "Hey man, here, what do you want?" And usually we were talking about this actually. Funny enough some of these shops don't treat the tourists very well because, like, you know, it's such a kook atmosphere that they're like, oh, yeah, here, get your board and get out of here. There's a difference, too, in curating the experience. We talked about that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's more important than the actual product offering. I think if you have a good experience somewhere, even if it's average food or average product, like clothing, whatever, like, if you like the people who work there, you're going to support it. And the people who work in my store, I always encourage them that, it's people first and like be say hello to people when they walk in the door, like be kind to them. Like uh, Johnny and I actually came up with this idea uh, a couple months ago. It's called the good deed discount. Like if mm. you see somebody in the store doing something nice, give them, give them 10% off. Like I think um, this guy wanted to buy a, uh, a hoodie and he's like, oh, I can't really afford it. And his sister's like, I'm going to get it for you. And, um, and we're like, we're going to give you a discount. That was a nice gesture. So anyway, Getting people, you know, being kind and, yeah. and doing things or treating people nicely in the store is definitely not just business, but it's just the right thing to do. <laughs> and let me give you a hard question here. When you first opened, right, because you have this big rift in the Hamptons between, like, localism and surf culture and, you know, non-localism, non-surf culture, even though you visited out here and had roots here, was there ever a point where you first opened where like surfers would be like, Oh, who's what's this fancy surf shop or whatever it is. Like, was, did you have that adversity when you first opened? And then to come full point, when was the realization that, Hey, no, he's not just like some whatever doing this. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there's probably still some of that, some of that, those feelings, but I don't think I necessarily focused in on, you know, trying to build that. I think just by putting enough time in an area you know, through, you know, I, I surf almost every day and, um, and just, you know, being in town and going to the post office and, you know, getting your coffee or whatever. Right. Like eventually that, that changes. Yeah. Um, and you gain trust in the community. People come to the shop. They like what you're producing. You're there year after year. You're doing all these charitable things. Yeah. You're doing swaps. You're doing, yeah. you know, these, these things that are involved in the community that give you kind of the foothold that you need. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it was necessarily an, um, there was like an, a thought to like, okay, like let me try and get imbr- be embraced. Like it was just, I'm going to run my shop. I'm going to try and support my life. <laughs> right. And, um, and yeah, kind of the rest just happens naturally. And like we said, you did it differently. It's not like you had this big lesson thing that went on at ditch or some big lesson thing that was like a part of the community where like you had this service aspect or service component with the shop. It was, you built the shop first had the retail component and that's the hardest thing to do is to get people in the door and you did that. And and now that that box is checked, now you said you might be looking into alternatively down the road, you know, different revenue streams or different components that you can pair with Adamar to give it a different presence than just the, the retail side too, right? Yeah, I mean, we started doing really quality rentals um, this year. So like basically pulling boards that we have on the rack and, you know, using them as, as rentals. And that's something that I can, I mean, yeah, it's inventory based, but I consider that more service than, than, uh, than inventory. So yeah, trying to figure out more service oriented revenue streams that are not as cash intensive. 
because um, right. yeah, the the, the a retail operating a retail store, especially a surf shop, is so cash intensive, and um, right. it, it's a drain on you know it's a, it's a, it makes a, it's a drain on the uh, the bank account. <laughs> yeah, for yeah. sure, for sure. Yeah. You're not dealing in in you know small bags of items or or bulk items. You're dealing with yeah. boutique items that are very expensive that are no, mostly handcrafted, with small, handmade, with small margin, like right? Really with small, small margin, margin and small inventory themselves, because most of the brands you said that you're bringing on are brands that are not you know your cookie cutter stamp out brands. They're brands that you actually look for to curate the store with that are, you know, of a different quality or a different, um, you know, echelon of design or, or what have you. And it's not like you guys are just in the summer, too. You guys are a year-round surf shop. So that presents a whole challenge in itself because in Montauk, if, you know, our listeners are not familiar, Montauk is a mainly three-month vacation town. You know, obviously there's a huge local community that lives there, but it's tough to have a surf shop running year-round in a town that doesn't have too much winter surf operations, even though the Stoke is actually bigger and better in the winter, but it's only for those who are bold enough to strap up and get out there. And I think that's that's another thing we're alluding to, is, is the fact that you can create a successful retail shop year-round. And to incorporate things like you're saying, like swaps and community aspects and things that can kind of dive yourself in to keep your footing all year-round. Yeah. I mean, the winter business is not easy. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say it's like super successful in the winter, but we're open. We we stay open uh, year round, and we we generally go five days a week starting in November, and then uh, we'll take like a week or two off to go surf somewhere in uh, in in January, February, March. Get a little break. Yeah, but um, you know, the doors are open, and um, and and to offer it as a service to the people who are still in town, and also from a business side, like the inventory is paid off at that point, so. Any th- there's no additional buys coming in in the winter time outside sure. of maybe a couple winter suits and boots, um, so any anything that you're selling at that point is money in the bank. Um, so so why not have the doors open if you're going to pay yeah. somebody to be there? Yeah, right. Yeah. And you also have things too. If somebody just so we can put it out in the air, it's not just like you go in there and you have to spend X dollars to go in there. They have lower priced items as well that you can just run in there for quick things. Like you have cheap wax. I don't know if anybody knows this, but you have the famous $1 wax special. So you can go in there no matter what day, whenever and walk in and there's dollar wax. <laughs> yeah. Um, not, I think not everything in a retail store has to be about making money. Sometimes you offer things as either a service or, you know, kind of something fun just to have. Yeah, dollar surf wax was like, all right, let's let's have a dollar because when we were having the experience that in other surf shops you can got get a bar of sticky bumps for like four or five dollars, right? And I was like, oh my gosh, that's insane! So we did a dollar surf wax, um, and yeah, there's certain like sex wax, like if you want to buy a bar of sex wax cash, it's two bucks. So yeah, which is a good deal, which is a great deal. So there's there's certain things that you don't necessarily need to overcharge for, and and wax for us is is in that world. It, it's more of a service than, than anything. Cause even if you sell a thousand bars of wax and, and you make an extra, what you're making an extra thousand dollars in a, in a calendar year, is that worth, is that worth it for charging four or $5 a bar or do you discharge, you know, two, two fifty? And then that kid is stoked. Cause he's totally. like, I just paid or, or you yeah. gave it to him for free. Cause he totally. bought something or whatever oh, it is. Yeah. If yeah. somebody came in with 10 cents in their pocket and said, I need a bar of wax. Like you'll, you can come snag a bar of wax. Like it's not, it's not made to, the wax is not made on its own to make money. It's more of about you know the service of right, to, and, to and you have little community. things there too. Now that the skate shops open in Montauk or skate parks open in Montauk, now that that's fully open, the new skate park, 
you also sell bearings and you sell little things like trucks and you, you do sell little yeah. things for skateboarders too. We, yeah, I guess this would be the first time I'm announcing this, but we, so we, we started the skates, the skates side of the business like three years ago now, right before the park was redone or mm. the year before the, uh, like a year and a half. And did you the, know the park was going to no, be redone no, or you we just, didn't it was know. chance? We didn't know. It's just by good fortune <clears throat> that it happened. And the reason we, we did the skate side was Nobody was doing skate in town. I think Wampum was doing it in East Hampton, or they had the or Bridgehampton. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Bridge. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so we were like, all right, let's let's offer this to the people who are skating, and so we so we brought in skate a little bit of skate stuff. This year, uh, this year keepers opened up, and they're doing a really good job with the skate side. So I think next starting next year, we're going to transition a little bit outside of skate. We'll still offer a little bit of a core offering as far as you know hardware, and. I think we're going to start offering our own our own decks, specialty collaborations. You know, f- uh, like we love bread meat and yeah, you know, some of the shout out guys. to Andrew, yeah. baby, Andrew <laughs> bread meat. Yeah, but um, I think Keepers is is doing such a good job that we're gonna. You know, we we don't necessarily need the skate business to survive. That right, you were more so just servicing the community, yeah, saying, "Hey, there's a skate park here. We'll carry some skate stuff." For sure. And this is obviously before Keepers opened, right. and, and Grant opened up Keepers right. there. But uh, my, yeah, you're right. I mean, they do a great job too. Yeah. And and my passion is surfing. Like I, I don't I don't skate every day. I surf every day. Right. Um, and and that's where I feel most comfortable. You know, talking and 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 and, and that that's my space. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah, we'll, we're going to do like our own specialty decks and and collaborations on that side, um, and and have like kind of just a taste. But the full service skate shop, I think we'll, we'll let keepers have it. Yeah. No. Of course. Yeah. And. And like you said, there was a big gap for many years. Once Plaza Sports closed, yeah. that was kind of the big gap for everybody that was skate, surf, all the cheap shirts, or not cheap, but all the board shorts and things like that that would be like last season, you could get that on sale. Like that Plaza was kind of like the biggest hub for that. Yeah. And then it faded out, obviously, once they sold. And, and then now it's then yeah. it's now it's nothing. I mean, there was a skate shop in town years ago. Um, what were they called? And, and really the point of us saying these things is – the, the main point is that it's essential to stay connected within the local community and the way that it operates here and the way that people perceive the stores and perceive the way that the shop is. It's important because, like you said, you have a year-round business. It's not just the three months, even though the bulk of the money comes in those three months. But you know what's coming in those three months. Like, you can expect that. There's been a pattern that you've built over seven years of, okay, this type of people are coming in the shop and they're going to buy these types of things and, and we kind of got a grasp on that. But it's expanding into like the local pockets and the community stuff that you're doing to kind of keep you busy year round or to keep you busy maybe in October or November. And I think you're doing a lot of great things like you're doing swaps and you're doing like the uh, the surfboard swap. You want to talk about that and, and kind of what that does for the community? Yeah, I mean, everything that we do in the store is, tr- is, is trying to be for the, the, the local community. The surfboard swaps we do twice a year. If you own a board and you want to sell a used board, you come to the event, and if your board sells, you keep 100% of your sales. Um, there's no shop commission or anything like that. It's basically just great. a community yeah, gathering point. Um, so, yeah, we, you know, again, going back to, like, dollar surf wax, you know, the surfboard swaps, um, yeah, just kind of offering things to um, not necessarily always make money on people. It's sometimes just offering a nice service or um, a space for people to, hang out or, you know, sell, sell their old stuff. <laughs> and then, and then they get in the door and they realize, oh, wow, this shirt's really nice. These shoes are great. Hey, yeah. this hat is fresh. Yeah. I mean, I'm no, I'm no dummy too. Obviously getting people onto the <laughs> lawn also means people are coming into the door. And when people sell 
or buy uh, boards. Sometimes they need fins or leashes. So yeah, we the shop definitely benefits their spillover. But yeah, the swap itself, we don't directly make any money from. This podcast episode is brought to you by Freedmine Fabrications is a custom jewelry and metalsmith studio out of Colorado, owned and operated by Nathaniel Fife. Nate has been designing and creating custom pieces for clients since 2013. Custom pendants, wedding bands, engagement rings, necklaces, bracelets, earrings, grills, and more. Nate can bring any idea you have to life. I've personally owned a piece from Nate for almost 10 years, and it's held up through all of my travels around the world. Highly educated listeners have been given a special discount of 10% off all of his work by using the code Highly Educated at checkout on his website, freedmindfabrications.com. That's Highly Educated, all lowercase, one word. Promotion is valid for a limited time only. Freedmindfabrications.com. So, segueing back into the actual making of the clothing itself, because I'm really interested in this, in, in the actual process. Obviously, it's seven years in, a lot of trial and error, a lot of different manufacturers, a lot of different factories I'm sure you work with. What was that process like finding the right people and finding the right trusted brand that you knew was going to carry your product or create your product? Hmm. Yeah, uh, I think in the early days, I went through six or seven factories and then eventually found one that was like magic. And I think at the end of the day, the way I service my business is the way this factory services theirs with treating people with respect, honesty. And at the end of the day, like that comes through in the product they produce for me. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I've been working with the same factories for, I mean, basically since the store opened, so six or seven years and they've been, they've been awesome. We're currently offering, we're currently making just about everything in the U S we've made a a higher start. He starts in August. Um, who's helping out on the product development and production side. And the idea is to open up some more factories and kind of diversify a bit bit more and offer kind of different a different range of product that maybe we're not currently offering. Yeah. So, yeah, I think we're, we're going to start looking into Portugal and, and, uh, and some other countries to start producing. Now, is the benefit there bottom line driven or is it mainly just for sourcing and for manufacturing? Because I don't know anything yeah. about the sourcing world. So is it easier to source there? Is it is it better to manufacture there? Like, what are the yeah. benefits of that? So certain places, like, ex- example, like we were trying to make sweaters um, in, in L.A., um, and this was just like a hundred percent cotton knit sweater. <clears throat> if I were to make this in LA with a with with a knitting machine, the, they were going to retail at like six or seven hundred bucks for for a cable knit sweater. I'm like, I don't want to sell a seven hundred dollar cable knit sweater. Um, so, yeah, opening up new factories helps kind of get a little bit better pricing. Um, and we're still going to keep a big portion of the stuff of our garments in the U.S. But certain things that we can't produce here we're going to start looking um, to produce in, in other pockets. And that's a move you're making mainly for the consumers. Like, you don't want to be charging $700 for a sweater, like you yeah. said. So if you can produce at a cheaper rate and it allows you to sell at a cheaper rate yeah. or a less expensive rate, then then your clients will be happy. Yeah, the overall will we'll make them happy. Yeah, it's a tough, uh, it's a tough balance because at the end of the day, I like producing local and I like producing in the U.S. because the number of businesses that are affected by producing one garment in the States, like – you have button suppliers, you have fabric suppliers, you have your cut and sew facilities, um, your pick and pack centers, um, zipper guys. Like those are all specific businesses that you are supporting. 
So right, right. I, Those are all phases of the business. Yeah, yeah. and I'm miss. I definitely, I'm definitely missing some. So it's it's nice keeping that here because I think I calculated it out. There's almost thirty businesses that are are supported by producing one garment, one wow. of my garments in the U.S. Yeah, wow. it, it was pretty significant. So trying to keep as much here, and and you know the consumer, I would say ninety nine point nine percent of my customers don't necessarily care. Um, every now and then, somebody will come in and be like, "Where is this made?" Or, "Oh, you guys sustainability are yeah. or consciousness?" Yeah. Yes, every now and then, but most customers don't. They want to know how much is it going to cost them, and so, yeah, we I, like it's a challenge because I. It's I'd a like double-edged to, sword. Yeah, like I, I want to produce a sweater here, but I know that I'm not going to be able to sell an $800 sweater. Um, so, yeah, it's... Well, and it's also a double-edged sword, right? Because you're, you're telling somebody they don't want to pay X amount of dollars, but they also want it sustainably sourced. It's like, well, okay, it's like that's like you going into a restaurant as a chef complaining that the food is X, but the food is from the local farm down the street. Yeah. Like, you, it's going to cost money if you want it from that farmer down the street. It's going to cost money if you want it made in the u.s and you want it of a certain quality but how do you sell somebody on the quality and that's that's your job yeah. right that's the medium of the store For sure. is selling that quality to the consumer that isn't necessarily prepared to and or ready to make that purchase your it's your job as the retailer to say hey this is why i'm charging this this is why it's not 60 dollars for this sweater because we're doing this we're producing locally it goes through 30 different local american hands before it gets to me and we have to pay all these people accordingly and you're not just wearing some thing and that that's the importance of retail when it's reached a different level like when you when you're getting outside of the streetwear and the tees and the, the basic you know printed cotton stuff you're you're elevating your clothing to a different level there's different quality different textures um, fabrics you're working with all of these things are essential because you're providing unique uh, product. You're, you're not just giving somebody something they can throw on and wear. They're walking out of the house feeling confident. They own something that's been through all the, like you said, they might not be thinking about it when they walk in the store to buy it, but guaranteed by the time they leave your store and they've gotten the knowledge of why it's been produced this way and why you've chosen this design and this texture, they're going to walk out of the store, and then when they when somebody asks them, "Hey, what what are you wearing?" They're going to be like, "They're going to sell the story just like you sold it to them yeah. in the store," because they do care after the fact, consciously. Oh, this was made by thirty American hands, and this is sustainable. And we do, you know, I did pay this for it, but it's because it's quality. You're not, you know, what I'm saying? Like yeah. it's all correlative to their story and how they're going to share it when they leave. Yeah, we don't always do the best <clears> job <throat> of of telling that story, and and, and in part because like not everything is U.S. made, like. Like it's hard to find U.S. hat manufacturer. Like there's certain things that like you, sure you, there's so I don't advertise that. Oh, it's all U.S. made or no? Yeah, but just loosely organic. talking about it. Yeah, that's yeah. it's yeah yeah. And like it's I would say actually considering what we're doing, it's actually even though my stuff is expensive, I think it's well priced. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah. And I don't mean to say that. No, it's, no, yeah, no, yeah. no. Not at all. Not at all. But like there is a stigma when for some like oh this is a hundred and ten dollar short like that's really expensive. It's like yeah, but if, like, if with everything that is going on in this U.S. production, like, it's actually it's actually not expensive. Um, so, yeah. And, it's, and it's how long are those going to last you? I like, mean, you know, like, it's amazing. The, the, the Ralph, like, you, you worked for Ralph Lauren. Yeah. I have polos sitting in my closet. A Ralph Lauren, you know, regular button-up with the little polo guy on it. I've owned those shirts since I was 18 years old. They're, they're, they they're 15 years old, and they still last. Like, they're, they are quality apparel oh i you paid 120 dollars for that polo shirt when you could have spent 
60 on whatever brand, yeah, okay, that $60 brand thing crumpled up five years ago and I had to throw it out because it got holes in it and it was shitty. This polo shirt's been rocking for the last 15 years strong. It doesn't have a mark on it. You know, it's when you pay for the quality, or at least I've realized, over the years. But it took me yeah. a while. I wasn't 18 with these thoughts. I was 30. Yeah. You know, it's so it's you're appealing to a different customer base because you get it. I mean, people get it. When they start shopping for clothes as you get older, you realize you want quality. You want something that's going to last yeah. and also look good and be a conversation piece where maybe you're talking to somebody about, you know, oh, where you got this or how the quality is or, you know what I mean? I think there's it's also a different a, echelon. For sure. I think there's also a mental appreciation. Like, okay, if you spent $5 on a t-shirt or $80 on a t-shirt, like you might, you might take better care of like, like, right. You like, okay, I spent a lot of money on this. I gotta, I should take good care of this. thousand percent. And <laughs> yeah. you think it's the opposite. Yeah. You think, oh, you know, I don't want to spend all this money because I'm going to lose it, right? We think about it like sunglasses. Yeah. Like, oh, I don't want to spend $400 because I'm going to drop it in the water. Yeah. Oh, yeah? Well, I've had the same pair of parasols for <laughs> 10 years now yeah. because they were expensive. And I was like, I am never losing these. They're never falling off my – but those $80 electrics, I don't care. Whatever. Yeah, I'll drop them twice or drop them on the thing. Okay, yeah. they're plastic. I can do whatever. Yeah. But the glass parasols, and they're nice, and I spent money on them. I'm taking care of those, yeah. and I still have them. So it, it's it absolutely reigns true. Yeah. No, not, and just to clarify, we're not <clears throat> selling an $80 T-shirt, but no, just no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Just to clarify, <laughs> just we're, not, we're just speaking yeah. in echelons yeah, of, of quality right, and, and right, like right. different different types of quality right. for sure. Um, and so you said you came out to Montauk originally with the idea to live here full time or to open the shop. Like, was it was which one came first? <laughs> Uh, a little bit of both. Um, I, th- my I, my goal was to always live in Montauk, um, in with the store. For the aspect of surfing, owning the retail shop yeah. in the town, you want to surf in and wake up every day and yeah, like you sure. were in Long Beach, but just sure. at a different level. Right. Yeah. So the early years, um, I mean, those were the ramen noodle days. Like the shop was like uh, not making any money. Like year one and two were were tough. Um, and I hope my landlord's not listening to this, but yeah, year one and two, like I, like I didn't have a place to live. So I slept behind the counter of the store <laughs> and on like a little <laughs> blow up kind of camping mattress <laughs> and I would shower at Hither Hills and, or surf. <laughs> right. This wasn't some Ritz life that you were like, Oh, the guy's no. opening up a surf shop. No. Oh, look at him. Yeah. You know. No, I like, I actually officially didn't have a place to live until Primavera, which is the old pizza restaurant. Um, yeah. Now Blade and Salt. Now Blade and Salt. Yeah. Enzo was living in the apartment above the store, and when he left um, and sold his business, I, I was able to snag it, and that was kind of that's finally when I found housing. But yeah, the housing situation out here is not not easy. <laughs> so not easy. Not easy. And and even more so when you need employees, even harder, oh. Be- especially year-round employees. Good luck. Impossible. It's almost impossible. Impossible. Yeah, a- and so when you made the jump full time, did you? You said you were on the ramen noodle diet, sleeping on the floor. Like, <laughs> did you, did that hit? Like, hey, maybe this won't happen, or maybe I can't do this. Like, or um, did you never have that fail set? Ooh, uh, I never doubted. I never doubted it. It was, and I think in part because I just enjoyed it too much. That like, if I hated it, then maybe at some point I would have been like, all right, let's let's shut this down. But I enjoyed it. Like, I really loved coming to work. Like, it, if if this business ever becomes a, a huge thing. Like, I hope that I'm still working the retail side. Like, that's m- honestly my favorite part is, like, I'm engaging with people. I get to surf before work or after work or in September during work. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so, like, it's it's a great place to be. 
Um, so I hope that this I'm always in this store and, and, and working here. I feel like that's, and I've interviewed multiple retail business owners now, and that's generally the thing that they say. Like, I remember Brittany Rivkin was saying for Thrivkin, she has in Sag Harbor. She was saying that's her favorite part. And she's from Montauk, yeah. born and raised. And you ask, and she's like, that's my favorite part of owning this business. And that's what she missed when she started doing, like, all these mm-hmm. online business things. And all these things. She didn't get that real connection that she got with customers when she was in the store and they were like, this looks amazing on you and wow, this fit. And and the, the passion that they have when selling something to somebody that you took time and care into curating, you spent hours of your life curating these perfect garments and these great boards and this good apparel that you sell. You want people to be just as stoked as you want it when they leave because then they're going to be just as stoked telling their friend about it and vice versa and, and how it comes back to the store. Yeah, I mean, it's immediate feedback too from a design standpoint on like what fits are working, what colors are working. So you're you're producing – obviously, I produce because I like certain things, but I'm also producing based on feedback. Right. And you get that immediate feedback by working in the store. So from a from from that like kind of that loop, right, it's – it's it's important being there and, and hearing directly from customers because you're not getting that online. Um, you Maybe you're getting an occasional review, but you're not getting that immediate feedback. So having that is, I think, important to the design process as well. And then obviously, like, you know, friends coming in and, and hey, dude, surf was great this morning or what's the forecast looking? Like, it, all that is just kind of part of the fun and... Part of the um, energy of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Like, and in the wintertime, it's really appreciated. <laughs> right, because it gets <laughs> it quiet. It gets really yeah. quiet. It gets quiet. Yeah. So even stopping by with a coffee, being like, hey, man, how was your surf this morning yeah. or whatever it is, those moments are huge. Yeah, we were like, Johnny and I were talking about putting a couch in the store at one point, and we're like, hmm, in the summertime, like, we love having people but we have certain friends that would never leave if we had a couch. So <laughs> in the, but in the wintertime, we're like, all right, maybe we start putting a couch for like November to March. A little get, couch in the store. Yeah, just to get people like to linger and hang out. Because, yeah, winter's, winter's quiet, so it keeps it fun when, when, when you know, there's a long-running conversation in the shop. Sure. And, and that's another thing. I mean, that might be why you're surviving. Because we have to be honest here. It's a high turnover market, especially with retail businesses in Montauk. Every year you see a new place open. You see the next place closed down, new place open. There's really only, I don't know, 10 stores that have kind of held a foot ground for my whole life, two decades, three decades now within Montauk. There's not a, there's not a whole lot of them left. So you're kind of creating this foothold and this ground in the community and it's because you care about things like that. You're not just like shutting the doors after Labor Day and being like, hey, okay, go fend for yourselves, whatever, go to the next shop, we're closed. You're actually trying to do the right thing and stay open and service the community, even if it's just for surf wax yeah. for a dollar or if it's $2 for um, you know, sex wax or if it's XYZ for this. Pr- you're, you're still giving the opportunity for people to come and, and check it out. I regardless. think that's, yeah, I think that's also the benefit of being a mom. Like a, I mean, we're kind of a mom and pop. Um, like if you DM us on Instagram and need a surf wax at 6 a.m., like I'll open the store for you, right? Like you, there's no real set hours. It's pretty flexible. Like people call and be like, hey, I'm on the way. Like can you stay open until 7? Like sure, like whatever you need. So I think being in the store and and um, and giving that kind of uh, you know flexibility is, is also um, kind of part of the – the community service. Well, and detail to ownership. Yeah. Because a lot of these bigger stores, they just have big backing. They yeah. paid some guy to come out from wherever totally. in the city, and they're coming out, and they're just like, oh, hey, promote this store for the summer and 
sell a bunch of stuff, and here's your run, and and go do it. Yeah. It's like okay, that's that's great, but it's like you're not holding anything into the community. You're not footholding anywhere, and and those owners that are hands off, like you said, they're not going to get those details. They're not going to get those little moments of connection. They're not going to create that because they're too busy just signing a check and here you go. Here's an autopilot. They come in once a month and check out the layout. Oh, it looks great in here. Great. Oh, what's the PL? Yeah. Okay, this. And then they walk out. Totally. You know, it's the there same. are very few employees who will go into a store at 6 a.m. to give somebody a bar of wax. <laughs> that right. is and purely owner. That's the owner mentality. I was going to say, and even fewer owners yeah. that will do that. So I would say even, even more so than the employees, there's fewer owners that would go out of their way to do that. Mm-hmm. They're not getting in their car to lose money opening the building. Because once you think, right, and that and that's the draw between business owner, employees, et cetera. Once you own a business, you start equating your time as money, whether it's one minute, one hour, sure. whatever it is. If your time is $200 an hour, let's say, of value, because you're doing X, Y, Z for all these things, you've accounted your rate with consulting, whatever it is, your time's $250 an hour. It's just as a person, being alive, living, breathing. It's mm-hmm. 200 bucks an hour, 250 an hour. You're spending time out of your day to go, lose money to go open the store just to get, make somebody happy for the day, that's huge. Yeah. That's going to change their whole perspective. If Adam Marr comes down to the shop by himself to give you some surf wax yeah. at fucking 6 a.m., they're going to go in and shop, regardless of if they can you know, uh, buy everything all the time. Maybe it's one little purchase here and there, one little thing. But they're telling their friends, hey, the owner just came down and you know gave me a bar of wax. Like that, That's huge. Like those little things are everything in a small community that places a large emphasis on referral and word of mouth. Yeah. I mean, it's it's almost the entirety of business out here. For sure. And I think that goes back to what I was saying earlier is that service, right? You're just offering a good service because you can get surf wax anywhere. Why are you getting sticky bumps from one shop or the other? And I think right. at the end of the day, it's the service. Yeah. Um, you were saying referral. Yeah. I mean, we, we have just in, in May, we started putting a little bit of time and money into SEO but it was all word of mouth for the first seven years. And yeah, referral and word of mouth, it, it was kind of how we built the business. And really, Montauk has always historically been this way in terms of its success and the businesses on Main Street. If, if you can be the referral, if you can be the word of mouth business, or you can be the business that people respect year round, um, et cetera, people are going to flock. And it's crazy seeing the change. I mean, you moved here seven, eight years ago, seeing the change then. I'm, I'm born and raised from Springs, seeing the change in front. It's almost like the town has changed more in the last seven or eight years than it had in the 20 before it. And we've seen this change rapid. Um, and with that change, you found a way to adapt to the new culture while also staying relevant to the old. And I think that's kind of a you know, how did you think that way or, or how did you see the writing on the wall or when did that moment change for you where you realized, wow, you know, the demographics changing, things are changing here, the landscape is changing? Yeah, I mean, even, the, I mean, I, I, I saw it from what Montauk was as a, when I was a kid and camping out here to now. Yeah. But even, yeah, in this from seven, eight years ago to now, it's insane change. I don't know if I ever really um, actively thought about, okay, I need to change my business to accommodate this new customer that's here. I think surfing in general is such a um, it's such a sensitive <laughs> such a sensitive sport. Like true surfers, like the core community, can tell if it's phony or not. Sure. And keeping the core elements of surfing in the store were always top priority. 
offering a huge selection of wax, having all fins and leashes, you know, offering a really wide selection of boards. Like you, I don't think you can go like half halfway in. You have to be all the way in. Otherwise, like if a surf shop has one bar of wax or, you know, quote unquote, a surf shop has one bar of wax or one brand of leash, like it's, I think people can kind of feel like that it's not authentic. So yeah. figuring out how to keep it authentic and true to surfing while also offering a product that maybe is a little bit outside of that world um, has been a challenge. But I think it, it stay, being true to the foundation is what has kept the core community involved and engaged, but also, um, yeah, I guess the financial community that's coming in and has cash and spending money also engaged. Because yeah. at the end of the day, the core community is, uh, I guess, like the influencer, essentially, like they're the like the guys who have money want to be like that like the core 100 percent. isn't that funny yeah. like if you build it they'll come it's it's the real mentality of that like you said if this kid is walking around like all the the guys that come here with money they want to be like the local surfer that's wearing board yeah. shorts looking bummy or whatever yeah. on the side and just doing whatever they that that's that's the goal to them they want to like not stick out like a sore thumb here yeah. and you've given them the option to kind of blend in but also showcase a, a certain quality and yeah. a certain um you know stature to to what they're bringing out and if hey if i can wear this item and like you said after surfing if it's functional if i can go surf then throw this on it dries me off and then gets me to my next coffee meeting or next spot that i have to go to or you know wherever i have to go that's that's a benefit you've you've catered to both you've catered to both demographics both audiences which is essential to staying alive yeah. and, and staying year-round and I think in the in the seven years you've been here or eight years you've been here, it's we've watched it go from like the Nassau County, and I say this all the time, it's famous. I you know now we've said it a hundred times in the podcast. It went from the Nassau County family and like firemen and fishermen and whatever it was coming out for the weekends. Now it's these share houses and party kids and you know bar scene and club scenes and you know all these things. Where is Montauk falling while all this? happens around it and we see the transformation retail wise on main street you see all these you know high-end names popping up or you see this brand this hot new brand from some designer guy or this whatever but they don't resonate really and i think what adam marr does or what you've done in the community is that you've resonated the localism part of it while also keeping the other part intact the the uh upper level design elements and the um, quality elements in the clothing, in the fabrics, in the textiles. It's not just like junky stuff. You're producing a higher quality product while also keeping the localism intact, which is, that's that's huge. And I think that's why it's going to continue to be a success as you push, because you're really the only one that's on the fringe doing both. And I'm and I, pushing both envelopes, not trying to, you know, step on the feet of either one and kind of staying, like you said, Staying Sweden, being neutral and just being like, hey, we can accommodate you whether yeah. you're coming in for $2 wax or if you want to buy a nice brand new board. Yeah. We have both for you, and and we're going to give you good customer service on the way. Yeah, I think that's well said. Yeah. That being said, and the new market coming into play and how the market's even changing in the last three years over the pandemic and dealing with that whole thing, real estate changing hands again throughout the town – um, what do you see as challenges moving forward maybe or some things that you're kind of looking forward to kind of breaking into even if it's a scary thought? Hmm. Yeah, good question. Um, I think that the challenge, at least that I'm seeing this year, 
is the change of pace. Um, the last couple years, it's basically been crazy busy every day of the week from like April to November. And this summer, even though numbers are steady, it's extreme. Like weekends are crazy and weekdays are like meh or like hit or miss. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see how that's going to funnel into the fall and winter and how the next couple of years are going to line up as far as Montauk being a destination and busy. Like I know I have a friend who his family has a couple of um, uh, a couple places in town at, at hotels. I guess they they own them within a hotel or something like that and they rent it out. But right. th- basically the bottom for a place to stay out here is still like five, six hundred bucks a night. Which is uh, which is expensive, yeah. yeah. So like, you know, how th- I want I wonder I, I guess like is that c- contributing to the slower pace? And I know that ho- some hotel like I know their hotels have a vac have vacancy. Um, I know that the rental like real estate market has been a little quieter this year, um, and I think that you need those places to be full for this town to also be extra busy, right? Like the sure, and everybody benefits from that from. When the hotels are full and the rentals are full, then the restaurants are busy and the breakfast spots are busy and yeah. um, busy. Um, so I th- I'm curious to see how that's going to play out in the next couple of years. Having said that, like we, you know, we're I'm, I'm, I'm I run this space essentially with one or two people, so we don't have crazy overhead and right. we keep things pretty tight. So I'm not, I'm not overly concerned, but kind of interesting to see how this is going to unfold. Yeah, um, I'm I'm planning you know, next year, uh, like this year, actually, I was really conservative in my, in my buys. We didn't go heavy in inventory. And um, I think next year we might expand a little bit more. So I'm, I'm projecting, you know, good, good years to come, but kind of curious to see how it'll unfold. And, and you're excited to kind of curate some new things into the mix too, as you, as these markets develop, as you see trends, as you see people buy certain amounts of these certain things or certain items, that all gives you firepower for next year to say, okay, let me bring in this new item or let me bring in this thing that did well last year. Let me expand on this idea. Should I bring in more like this? Mm-hmm. Right. I'm sure that's all correlative. Once you start looking at the numbers at the end of the year and saying, oh, what sold this and that these hats did better. And then you can expand and, and produce more similar styles or produce something that's different or what have you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, we, we, we do these <coughs> like silky, they're cotton, they're cotton Cupra, but we do like a silky button down. And I think we sold out of them in June. So we missed July and August, which is <laughs> prime, right? So we missed a lot of potential sales there. So yeah, kind of re, I guess, reevaluating units and styles. And yeah, that usually happens in like September, October to kind of get back into, you know, developing for next summer. Yeah. And you do stay involved with some community events throughout the year. You do, you know, you, you put your name in there in, in certain events and festivals. Like you were just at uh, James Kachipas's, uh yeah. Uh, gallery show at uh, Lucor Art. Yeah. Yeah. And he had a beautiful presentation there, and you had the boards in the back checking yeah. them out. It was nice. Yeah. James so you're always kind of sticking your things into local uh, community events, which is great. Yeah. James is a, a good is a, is a good friend, and I'm always happy to support anybody who asks for support. So, like the the Montauk Library came in and asked for a gift card. Like we're always down to give to um, organizations that are in need. Um, or not in need, but are asking for you know, yeah, yeah. for whatever a um, gift card or you know donate this product yeah. or a yeah. silent auction for this or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. If yeah, there's a charity or an auction or a fundraiser, like we're always happy to help, and and I don't think we've ever said no. So <laughs> yeah. 
So you're you're an easy man to approach about things. That's that's note for everybody. Everybody go bug Adam more. Yeah, if you need free money in Adam Mar, <laughs> please come to my store. I'll give you a gift card. <laughs> uh, or go. What I took from this entire podcast is go in there with ten cents, and he will give you some wax. Yeah. So it's now not dollar <laughs> wax; it's ten cent wax. Totally. Yeah, ten cent wax, Adam Mar. Ten. And just to go back for a second for a quick rewind, the space itself. When you go into the space, when you walk into Adam Mar, it's beautiful. And you took over a pool company. So I'm just curious of what that process was like building out that space and making it so nice into what you made it. Was that like, was that how difficult was that? Um, you... Yeah, it was, it was a lot of work, but we did it on the cheap because budgets have always been small. So when I first took it over, the, the shop was lined with, like, you know what slot wall is? Yeah. Wall to wall slot wall. So we had to, we had to take out all the slot wall and then respackle and paint the shop just to get it kind of ready for whatever else that we were going to put in there. And then everything in the store we just built ourselves. So all the fixtures, um, yeah, all the all the all the uh, surf racks. Like yeah, we just we just kind of got wood and, and assembled them. Um, the 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 racks themselves are not overly complex. We kind of just let the wood shine and 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 have nice quality materials. But right, it's all pretty simple construction. Um, just kind of organized in a nice in a nice way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, all the woods, pretty much black walnut with a little bit of Danish oil. And that's kind of it. And that's it. Kept yeah. it classic and uh, a nice elegant look when you walk in there. And and that that that's why I like the feeling. You go in and you feel like you're in a nice shop, like on East Hampton Main Street or something. But you're not. You're in Montauk in the Surf Town. You're, you know, and and, and I'm staring at bearings and wax <laughs> and and hats and you know, shoes, vans in the corner. Like, there's different, like, brands you carry and different items that make me feel like, you know, like I'm in this local surf shop, and I, and I feel good about it, and I feel good, like, speaking with somebody behind the counter, and I feel like an open vibe, a good vibe, instead of feeling that, like, closed-off, weird, you know, oh, should I be in here type yeah. place. And so you've built the, the the presence of both, and it hits you both in, in the same way when you go in. Yeah, um, yeah, glad to hear that. It, it was always meant to be approachable with like highs and lows. Like we have a pair of the, like the van slides. They're they're like thirty seven bucks. So, and you know, hats are not over. Like everything was meant to be. Well, there's always not everything, but ev there's things in there that are meant to be approachable. And and yeah, obviously on the hard goods and 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 vans and like those those brands set their own prices. So we right. we're not over we're not marking them up outside of what they are already charging. Right. Um, right. So yeah, there's there's highs and lows, but the idea was there's always you that nobody can enter the store. Like somebody can walk walk into the store and, and always feel like they can get something. And and that's a good that's a good way to say it. They can walk into the store and, and always feel like they can get something. That's approachable and that's building something approachable. And how can we continue to grow the surf and skate culture and community out here in general? Uh, oh, do we want to? <laughs> I'm, just I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Um, I, I don't, that's a good question. I don't know. Mike, Mike Martinson, um, he, he, uh, an oyster farmer out here, he had a really cool idea a while back. Um, there was, I think this was when the Army, uh, the Army Corps was doing all the sandbags. Yeah. And he had this idea of like, there's um, these artificial reefs um, that you basically, put in place of sandbags and the reefs create marine habitat for wildlife. Um, they help with erosion and they create 
waves because you're basically I was gonna say yeah you're yeah. creating jetties you're, basically yeah. yeah you're creating good surf so I thought like oh man that's such an interesting idea I, he proposed it I think to the town and it, it got kind of axed pretty they're quickly. like wait a, a good idea yeah. no we don't yeah. wait we don't do good ideas yeah. <laughs> I'm not advocating <laughs> for this or anything but I, I thought the concept was cool like you're like you're adding in a, a lot of different layers of of interest well it's, it's better than seeing hundreds of sandbags washed up on the beach every fall after it doesn't work and <laughs> yeah. they put in 300 more and bury it again it's just seems like a tedious process they keep redoing and redoing over and over uh, i don't know if that's the solution uh, listen i'm not super educated but the optics aren't we like, are yeah, yeah we we are not yeah. engineers so yeah. we as laymen are not smart people in this aspect <laughs> but the optics are the optics are not pretty yeah and i like the idea of a reef that sounds a lot better yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think, uh, I think surfing culture has always been huge out here and I don't think it'll, it'll change. There's just too many good waves. Yeah. Too many good waves. And do you think with the aspect of Adamar transitioning maybe a little bit to a more service friendly oriented business, do you think that, um, you'll see some expansions? Yeah, we've been talking about expanding for a couple of years, um, if, right now, at least, if we're going to expand, I think it'll just be digitally. I've explored the idea of doing a second retail location, and uh, I think – I don't know if I'm ready for that jump. Uh, it's very affordable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. From what I hear from <laughs> friends who have multiple retail locations, they say from going from one location to two locations is really going from, like, one to five. Like, it's such a huge jump mentally – um, quality control, yeah, your time is consumed. Everything. Yeah. Staff, staffing and more rent and more overhead. Which and, is hard. Staffing is yeah. one of the biggest issues. You talk to yeah. any restaurant owner, any bar owner, yeah. they're sitting there being like, dude, we got people working yeah. doubles all summer because we can't find the help. It's hard. Yeah. And I think it's special having one location. When people come to the store, like a common question, oh, do you have any other spaces? I'm like, no, this is it. Like, if you want to. You're in Adam Mar. Yeah. This is the shop. We don't wholesale. Like, if you want if you want this T-shirt, like, you, you, we don't offer everything online even. So, like, there's certain things, like, it's either this store or it doesn't exist. So, I think, um, yeah, if we, if we expand, it's going to be digitally. And I think that's the next frontier for us. The next digital frontier yeah, for Adam Mar. Yeah. Well, Adam, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you giving us your story and how you got into it and, you know, the, what you're doing for the community, just being a surf shop open year-round, uh, giving the community access to even little things or nice quality products. Yeah. For well, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you very much, Ryan. Yeah, of course. Yeah, no problem. It's my pleasure. And uh, you'll always see me sporting some Adam Mar lids or some good apparel because I'm, I'm all about good stuff. That's what I like. Cheers, man. Thank you, brother. This podcast is brought to you by Three Mile Media. Three Mile Media is your all-in-one media, broadcasting, design, and marketing agency of the East End. Does your business need content creation or social media management? How about a new logo or website? What about designing packaging for a new product? Three Mile Media has you covered on all fronts and even has a broadcasting division to help promote your companies to thousands of listeners within your target markets. Three Mile Media specializes in professional product and retail photography, videography, commercial design, online marketing, sales, and media consulting. See what Three Mile Media can do for your business after just a few short months of service. Visit our website at threemilemedia.com for more information.